To answer Drew's question about Habakkuk, what does Habakkuk mean? It means Habakkuk. It means Habakkuk. <laughs> All right. So we don't know much about Habakkuk other than what we hear about in the book. There's only three chapters in this book, and they're pretty short. Uh, so we are going to read the whole book. Um, and we're going to see some complaints from Habakkuk, and we're going to see how God answers him. So first, let's go ahead and go to chapter 1. Uh, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Does anybody want to read for me? Is this stuff on the paper? No, the verses are not on the paper. You actually got to get the Bible. Like, uh, what? All right, Lydia's going to read for us. All right, we're in the book of Habakkuk, in case you're wondering. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and condemnation condemnation arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so just goes forth preserved. Alright, so in these verses right here, we're, uh, Habakkuk's got a pretty big complaint. And uh, first let me back up and see, what is an oracle? When it says oracle, there's a couple of these minor prophets that says that they had an oracle from God. It's not like a, um, so what, what is that? It's like a, almost like a yeah, like yeah, like some people would say that. Yeah, like the, like a median or somebody who could see the future. But in this case, it all, it could also mean um, burden, and um, or actually some translations of the Bible say burden. Um, but in this case, it's a divine communication or revelation. So in these first four verses, um, God's message to Habakkuk took the form of a vision. A lot of uh, uh, prophets had visions and. What's the, is there a difference between a vision and a dream? Y'all know the difference there? Vision, you are awake, dream, you are asleep. Alright, so a vision, you're awake, dream, you're asleep. Um, and it says, in these verses, he is complaining and perceived that God appeared indifferent to Judah's sin. Not only is he complaining, he's very upset with God asking him questions about how long you're going to let this sin go on. And it says that he is jealous for righteousness and knowing that a breach of the covenant required judgment. Y'all remember the covenant back from Deuteronomy that God made with His people? He said, if you obey me, what will happen if you obey? I gave you cheat cheat, by the way. In chapters 28 of Deuteronomy, what does the, the he, he tells you some things about the covenant. So if you obey the covenant, what would God do for you? Bless you. He would bless you. Um, but if you disobey Him, what, would he, what do you think would happen? You get curses. So that's, that's found in, uh, again, that's found in Deuteronomy 28. Um, and verses 15 through 68 are where the curses come in. So that's 53 verses that Deuteronomy is telling us about the curses if you disobey God. So anyway, Habakkuk questions God's wisdom, expressing bewilderment at the seeming inactivity and in the face of blatant violation of his law. The Jews had sinned by violence and injustice and should have been punished by the same. So again, Habakkuk's here. He's complaining. The Lord's about to answer him. And he's not going to like the answer that the Lord's about to give him. Uh, so let's read uh, verses 5 through 11. 
You might want to read that for me. Uh, All right, okay. So look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which, who march through the breadth of the earth, to see dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. From, yeah, from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press pr proudly on their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swift to devour. They all come from violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rules, rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep up, and they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Alright, so first verses, we see the complaint. Now we see God's answer. Habakkuk was really looking for like a revival. Uh, he wanted God to come in, you know, and, and kind of stir, stir the people up and have a revival. But what does God say he's going to do in these verses? Destroy them. Do what now? Destroy them. So he's bringing their punishment by judgment. So Habakkuk wanted a revival. And God looks, I mean, he, he talks to Habakkuk and he says, not, not only am I not going to do what you're asking for, I'm not bringing revival. I'm about to bring judgment, which is the opposite of what Habakkuk wanted, but that's what they deserved, okay? So it says, in response to Habakkuk's confusion and pleading, God broke his silence, informing Habakkuk that he was not indifferent to Judah's sin. So God was aware of Judah's sin. But instead of revival, he was bringing judgment. He was, how he was going to, or how was he going to bring judgment? You said he was going to destroy him, but how is he going to destroy him? Through the Chaldeans. Through the Chaldeans. That's also another name for the Babylonians. So he, we see throughout the Bible, the Babylonians are used several times to punish God's people. Uh, so in verse 6, God was going to rise up the Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians, to uh, bring his judgment. God is sovereign. God is sovereign who brings his people of ruthless character and conduct to invade Judah. So he's saying there that God is in control, right? That's what sovereign means. And God is bringing a ruthless people, the Chaldeans, to bring judgment. And it says that the Chaldeans are described as self-assured, self-sufficient, self-defied, and, and deadly. So they are very confident in themselves, which is going to be the downfall of them. Uh, we'll see that in a little bit. Uh, Habakkuk questioned how a loving God could surrender his chosen people to defeat by, uh, be defeated by the cruel pagan Chaldeans. So Habakkuk's sitting there going, he's asking God, how, why are you going to allow these ruthless people, which I'm about to touch on that in a second, but how are you going to bring, allow these ruthless people to, I, I guess, to come in and beat them up a little bit? Again, we know that God uses the Babylonians to bring judgment. It says, while Judah has sinned, most of the people continue to assume that they were automatically entitled to God's blessings. So did y'all hear that? It says that because they were God's people, basically, they think that they're entitled to God's blessings, even though they're sinning. Um, sorry, I lost my spot. It says, God had consistently communicated that their physical and emotional comfort were not his top priority. In fact, he promised through the prophet Habakkuk that he would do things in their day 
that they would not even believe, even if they were told what was coming. While some could have interpreted this as good news, it was not. So why do you think that was not good news? Anybody? Because he's saying, what did I just say? It said that, um, what verse is that? I'm just going to bring it back up. We just read it. Huh? For I'm doing work in your days that you would not believe it told. Yes, so he's telling them, I'm going to do things that you're not even going to believe. So there, some people might misinterpret that. Okay, God's going to come in and he's going to bless us again because they feel entitled. But because, um, sorry, I'm losing my spot. Anyway, but uh, because God would call the wicked nation Babylon to bring judgment to his people, that's why it was not good. So years later, the Apostle Paul quoted Habakkuk 1.5 while speaking to a con congregation in a Jewish synagogue. He encouraged his hearers not to allow religious tradition to prevent them from accepting Jesus as God's Messiah. Uh, that's in Acts thir chapter 13, verses 38 through 41. God had instructed Habakkuk and his people that he would punish evil and establish righteousness and in the end redeem his people in an amazing way. Paul pointed his hearers to the fulfillment of this prophecy, the work of Jesus Christ on, the, on their behalf. He encouraged them that they would be fool, or, I'm sorry. He encouraged them that they would be foolish not to see God at work through his amazing Messiah Jesus, to whose saving work the prophet had pointed. In verse 8, how does it describe their horses in verse 8? Y'all look back at verse 8. They're as fast as cheetahs. Uh, they're more fierce than evening wolves. What is an evening wolf? Have y'all ever heard of that? So an evening wolf, uh, these were wolves that had suffered hunger all day. And uh, they were first forced to prowl into the night for food. Like wolves, uh, Babylon's army displayed extraordinary stamina and undaunted eagerness to attack for the purpose of devouring the spools of victory. So these people were very strong. They were fast. They were very determined to come and um, destroy God's people. So in verse 11, though the Chaldeans were God's instruments of judgment, their self-sufficiency, uh, self-adulation uh, planted the seeds for their own destruction as they stood guilty of adultery and blasphemy, blasphemy before the sovereign Lord. And we will touch on this again in chapter 2. So who were the Chaldeans' gods? Who did they worship? Themselves. Sound like they worshiped themselves. So... That's going to be the downfall of the Chaldeans because of the adultery and them worshiping themselves. So let's read uh, chapter 1, verse 12 through chapter 2, verse 1. You want to read that, uh, Logan? Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure eyes than to see... You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he, choices. he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices 
to his net and makes offsprings to his dragon, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the, on the tower, and look out to see that he will say to me, and what I will answer concerning my conformity. Right, look back at verses 15 through 17. Who does it say that they worship there? They actually worship, he was saying, their nets because the people are fish and the Chaldeans come in and they draw them up in their nets and their hooks. And that, so he was saying that they worship their nets and the hooks and their drag nets because of what they have been able to do. Um, in these verses, uh, or I'm sorry, Habakkuk in his reaction to the perplexing revelation found in verses 5 through 11, he declared, declared his confidence in the Lord. Then he unveiled his second complaint. So he, this 12 through 17 is another complaint. And it says, how, how could the Lord use a wicked nation to judge a nation more righteous than he? So the wicked nation would be Babylon. The righteous nation that he would be referring to it would be uh, the Israelites. Or in this case, Judah. Um, verses 13 through 17, Habakkuk ended by expressing his determination to wait for an answer. So that verse 1 in chapter 2, <clears throat> Habakkuk is actually saying, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait on you to answer, God. So what do you think God does? You think God answers him again? Actually, he does answer him again. So God has a second answer for him, and that's going to be... Uh, Start with that in uh, chapters 2, 2 through 5. Anyone want to read that? Casey. Uh, the Lord answered me, Write down this vision, clearly inscribed on his tablets, so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteousness will live by his faith. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like shield. Like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the people for himself. All right, so in these verses... God instructs uh, Habakkuk to write down his revelation and make it plain on tablets so, so that a herald could run with it. He wanted the people to understand without any room for misinterpretation or doubt, saying, and he wanted to make certain that everyone had the opportunity to respond. And the message was about what would happen in the future. So what is, what's going to happen in the future? Did y'all pick that up when they... When, when we're reading that? Um, it's saying that the arrogant man uh, will have punishment in Sheol, but the righteous will be, they will have uh, life through their faith. All right, so we're, so we're getting to um, the, what's going to happen in the future, and it's going to be God's judgment for Judah, and then God's judgment for Babylon, and then he's going to restore his people. Um, it says, uh, initially in God's judgment of the Chaldeans and ultimately in the earth being filled with knowledge of God's glory. All right. Uh, in the New Testament, God gave the Apostle John a more complete vision 
which compelled John to refer to his message as the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's found in Revelation 1.1. Through time, God has communicated in different ways, but has spoken with ultimate clarity through Jesus. That's in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. God's Word and all that God has revealed works like a surgeon's knife in human hearts, penetrating and dividing as it expresses the truth. Have y'all ever heard that verse before? God's Word sharper than a two-edged sword. Alright, so that's Hebrews 4.12. In Habakkuk's day, God communicated because He expected people to respond. Because of His crystal clear communication in Jesus, God desires that those who hear His Word today choose life's most important response. What's today's most important response? What's life's most important response? Repentance. Who? Repentance. Repentance, and who would that be repenting to? So who would we be, be choosing? Who would, I'm sorry, who would we be turning to? Jesus. Jesus. So life's most important response today is turning to Jesus. For what did Jesus do for us? Died on the cross. Died on the cross for sin. He gave, what did He give us when He died on the cross? Righteousness. Righteousness, but what did He do for our sins? <clears throat> all these are great. They're all right. Forgave our sins. Forgave our sins. That's what I was looking for. Forgiveness. All right, all those were right. I was I was looking for forgiveness. Um, all right, so forgiveness for of, of our sins and accepting God's free gift of new life as His adopted children. So we're the um, the most important response is turning to Jesus for forgiveness and the free gift of new life. So, all right, let's read uh, chapter 2, ver uh, verses 6 through 20. We're going we're gonna to be introduced into some punishment for the Chaldeans. All right, Emma. <coughs> all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long? And loads himself with... Fletches, fletches, will not be debaters, suddenly arise. And those awake who will make you tremble, then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, and all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of men and violence to the earth, to cities, and all who dwell in them. Woe, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of uh, harm. He will devise shame of your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited. forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork re re respond. Woe to him who builds, builds a town with blood and founds a city in iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely on for fire. The nations wear, weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled, and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord has as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink 
you pour out you pour out your wrath and make them drunk in, in order to gaze at their uh, nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of of glory. Drink yourself and show your um, uncircumcision. The cup, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will, will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. For the blood of men and violence to the earth, to cities, and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when it make when its maker has have shaped it? A metal image, a teacher, a teacher of lies. For is a maker trust in his own creation when he makes speechless idols? Woe to him who says to a wood, a wooden thing, awake! To the sound, stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at at all in it. But the Lord is a holy temple. Let all earth keep silence before Him. All right, so in these verses, we see five woes. Where have y'all heard woes before? Revelation. Revelation. There was a lot of woes Matthew. in Revelation. Matthew. What Usually when you talk about it, you say, what are you saying? I said Matthew. Oh, uh, I'd have to go look. There, I, I'm thinking Revelation, but there may be a few in Matthew. I'd have to go back and look. But if you find it, let me know. Um, but I'm thinking of Revelation when I think about woes. And we usually, when we're talking about woes, what is that? Like pity, like pity me. Pity, like, it, it's always never good, is it? Is a woe ever good? No. Um, so, it is a prophetic word that to int introduce judicial indictment or a sentence of judgment. So usually a woe is bringing bad news of judgment to somebody who sinned. And in Revelation, it's a lot of woes to, um, you know, we went through that. Uh, a while back and all the woes and uh, the destruction and um, to the Antichrist and to, uh, all the people who follow him there's going to be a lot of woes for them so but in this case the first woe is against aggression so the aggression is it's taking things that aren't ours or taking stuff that was not theirs um, and then we got a woe of covetousness this was the king would build up his house and not take care of his people. So the king took care of himself, but didn't really care about his people. And then we have a woe against violence. We have a woe against inhumanity and debauchery. Uh, because they were doing some crazy things um, where in that fourth woe, or um, you know, with the inhumanity and debauchery. And then it says the fifth woe uh, was against adultery. So in these last verses that she read, um, what does it say about these idols that they're making? They made them, and they're made of metal. They're ma they're made of metal. They're made of wood. They don't have any breath. And do what now? They don't have any breath at all. They don't have any breath. Is, is, is he's saying are these are these idols? Um, are they going to come awake? Are you going to look at this idol and say, "Come to you know, come alive"? Can this idol teach you anything? It can't because they're made of wood and they're made of stone. Um, and the, the destruction of the Chaldeans would demonstrate the su 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 sorry, why can I not say that word? Superiority of the Lord over all gods. So in this fifth woe, God's going to say, "I'm greater than all of your false gods." 
All right, so now we're going to move on to chapter 3. Um, I need somebody to read verses 1 through 16 for me. All right, Lydia. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigenoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, I do fear in the midst of the years, reveal it. In the midst of the years, make it known, and wrath, remember its mercy. God came from Taman, and, and the Holy One from Mount Salah, the splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there he revealed his power. Before him went pestilence. Before him went pestilence. Pestilence. And plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the mountains. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. He, his were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affection. The curtains of the land of Midian did not tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheep from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you right. The raging waters swept on. The deep, the deep gave forth his voice. It lifted his hand. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. And the and the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Salah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if, our, as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the days of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. And so in the midst of his confusion about God's revealed ways and plans, Habakkuk expressed his faith through prayer. He affirmed that he had heard of God's fame, and he stood in all of God's deeds and pleaded with God to renew his work in the past so it would be known in the present. Yet since God had clearly communicated his plans to judge Judah, Habakkuk asked God to remember mercy even as he poured out his wrath. So what Habakkuk could not understand at the time was that God's mercy was woven through all that was to come. I want y'all to pay attention to this. It says without having mercy, God would have completely destroyed the people of Judah. Without God's mercy, the nation would never return from exile to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Without His mercy, God would not send Jesus into the world to die. Without His mercy, God would not offer Jesus' perfect payment for sin to a hopeless, sinful world so that people who deserve only judgment could experience only grace. That is very good news. Um, thank God for His mercy, right? Because without His mercy, we would not have Jesus. Without His mercy, we would not have forgiveness. Because what is the punishment? Death. Judgment. Death. Alright? So without His mercy, none of that exists. 
So God's mercy is a big deal. Alright, that's a, that's a big deal. I hope you all understand that. So, even as Habakkuk prayed, God continued to work, uh, or continued the work he started. This work encompassed all that would happen to Judah through Babylon. So again, judgment is still coming to Babylon. But it continued purposely through the death, resurrection, ascension, and, and ascension of Jesus. Jesus now reigns forever in heaven, surrounded by all those who did not uh, get what they deserved, but rather received what they could never have hoped to earn. Complete forgiveness, utter peace, and eternal life with God. I'm going to read that again. Uh, so, Jesus now reigns in heaven, surrounded by all those who did not get what they deserved, but rather received what they could never have hoped to earn. Complete forgiveness, utter peace, and eternal life with God. Again, thank God for His mercy. Alright, so let's move on to uh, the end of chapter 3 and the end of the book, uh, verses 17 through 19. Who wants to read that one? Ava? Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no fruit on the vines, through the olive Though the olive crop fails, the, and the field produces no food, th though the flocks disappear from the pen, and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, the Lord my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of deer and enables me to walk on mountains high. For the choir master on strength and strength. Alright, so again, if the fig tree did not blossom, there's no fruit on the vines, if the olive fails, the yields produce no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there's no herds in the stalls, what does he say he will do? Look at verse 18. Rejoice. Yet I will rejoice. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Even if all those bad things happen, what's he going to do? Rejoice. And everything that was normal and predictable, if, if everything that was normal and predictable collapsed, the prophet would still rejoice. Uh, obedience to the covenant was a required element to the enjoyment of agricultural and pastoral prosperity. Again, so obedience brings what? Back in Deuteronomy? Blessings. What does disobedience bring? Curses, punishment. Uh, through disobedience, or though disobedience would initiate the covenant curses, the prophet affirmed his commitment to the Lord. His longing and joyful desire was for God Himself. So, quick review: um, Habakkuk saw the sin of his day. Habakkuk waited on God to answer, and it says, as Habakkuk reflected on all that was happening in Judah. In the devastation to come, he turned to God in prayer. Again, he rejoices, even though all that bad stuff is going to happen. Habakkuk acted in faith during this dark and difficult time. So here again, I want you to pay attention to this too. It says, a century later, as Jesus walked into Jerusalem, he knew he would soon be crucified. Like Habakkuk, he knew the Father's will and acknowledged the horrific events were coming that he would have to endure. What are the horrific events that Jesus is going to have to endure? Dying on the cross. Say it loud, anybody. Cross. Cross, the crucifixion. But unlike Habakkuk, 
Jesus could have altered the course of his life on earth and traveled the easier path. Who in here is glad that he didn't choose that? I am. I'm glad that God, or Jesus, chose to die on the cross for my sins. Yet no other path would make Jesus the way, the truth, and the life through which every person would be able to gain access to the Father. Y'all know where that's found in the Bible? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Huh? Say it. You said it. What is it? John 14. John 14, 6. Um, so on earth, Jesus was a real person experiencing life as we all do, yet without sin. In his, in his humanity, like the prophet Habakkuk, he experienced a troubled heart. He knew he could ask to be saved from the dark, uh, the dark hour to come, but he also fully knew that the brutal path of crucifixion was the reason he had come to the world. That's in John 12, verse 27. So in this intense hour, he prayed, Father, glorify your name. In that moment, Jesus, the Son of God, lived by faith and perfectly modeled for us complete reliance on God. Um, so that's all I have. Again, I'm done really quick. Do y'all have any questions? Did anything uh, stick out to y'all that y'all didn't understand or that we can go deeper on? Anything? Nothing? Everybody understands it perfectly? I don't know. <laughs> all right. Well, that is it. Um, I don't know where Drew is. Uh, we may have to go find him, maybe get him up here and sing some songs for us. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. So. Lord, uh, I just come to you right now. And I thank you for the opportunity to teach. Lord, uh, I thank, that, thank you that you can use me, Lord, in my stumbling and stuttering, Lord, and um, just being uncomfortable up here, Lord, that you can still use me to... Um, Spread your gospel, Lord. I ask that you'll um, just be with these kids, Lord. And as we talked about Habakkuk, Lord, I ask that they um, be able to look back on these notes, Lord, and uh, maybe even do their own study, Lord, and understand it a little better. Uh, again, we thank you for bringing all of us here tonight um, safely, Lord. We ask that you uh, just get us all home tonight, Lord, and bring us back Sunday, um, Lord. And again, we just thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. I just want to. Um, Pray for any special needs that are going on in the youth group right now, Lord, that we don't know of. Uh, Lord, I know that we are anxiously waiting on the return of Jonathan, Lord, and to see um, the things that you have done for him through their time in California, Lord. And we ask that you just be with them, with Bethany and Joe and Jonathan, Lord, as they're traveling back, Lord. And uh, again, we just thank you for all that you do for us. And in Jesus' name, amen.